Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Randy, how's it going? Hey, Jake, I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. I'm uh, here in beautiful Hawaii, and we have guest jammers in town. Sasha Hone and his girlfriend, Anne, are here staying at our house. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's kind of cool. I didn't yeah. know that they were going to be in, in Hawaii land. They're on a three-week trip, so they were in California, and they just came here for a week, and then they go back to California. Travel south. So we had a, a three-hour jam yesterday, and the wind was perfect. Oh my god, it was fun! Wow, wow. Well, lucky you. I'm envious on all fronts on Hawaii and guest jammers and and everything. But you know, I have one burning question. So, is it Gothier or Gothier? It's Gothier. Gothier, not Gothier. It's like uh, goth, gothic, goth, and uh-huh. ear like your ear that you hear out of goth ear, gothier. Okay. So a lot of people will say Gauthier, the sort of French E approach, but it's not. That's right. It's not. Okay. It's actually, somehow it got Americanized along the way. I don't know where in history that happened, but we all started calling it Gauthier. Okay. And uh, actually only one person in my entire life, only one person has said it correctly who wasn't a family member. This woman from Louisiana, she just read it and said it perfectly. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. And she's like, yeah, that's how we say it in Louisiana. So... <laughs> Perhaps I have roots there that I don't know about. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Okay, so here the other question. Is it got hair or goat hair? <laughs> got hair. Okay. All right, good. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure that, that we cleared that up. So, all right. Well, hey, we have a pretty cool episode today. It's actually a lost episode. It was a, a uh, interview that we did with Steve Hayes, the Beast, that we kind of forgot about. So, with that being said, hope you enjoy. Well, I know that you had some thoughts about uh, what makes a, a good throw or something like that. I, uh, I had some consideration about how little is understood about what makes a good throw and right. uh, people's commitment to learning to throw different throws and throw well first comes from knowing what it takes to be a good throw. So, what is that? Well... We all have our answer to that, but I I believe that um, a lot of what people do is try to throw it real hard, put a lot of effort into it, and and rear back and really throw it hard. The harder they throw it, the better it is. You're talking like high Z hard. Well, I don't think they separate out the two: speed from spin, a big rush of energy. And what what results is maybe some Z's and uh, something that's coming pretty fast, usually. So wait a second. Are you saying that people aren't being conscious about who they're throwing it to? They're just kind of throwing it, or it's just out of their control? They're throwing it at, not uh, to, mostly. Just a... A really hard driving throw is what I see from people that are really trying hard to throw well, but um, the results are are you know a overly fast throw that um, 
you have to really stun down to do anything with usually. Okay, so then what type of a throw would you like to see coming at you? Well, I I, I think what I, I when I was thinking about it, I thought, well, why is uh, one throw what makes one throw better than another? And it comes down, of course, to the concept of uh, you know once again, what what the hell is freestyle? Is it um, just doing moves, or is it two or three people? together creating some pattern with the music that uh, makes some kind of uh, sense or creates some kind of story. Well, you know what I think, actually, Beast, I, I like what you just said. Uh, it's about are you throwing it at or to? And I think that really is a big thing that a lot of jammers miss is that they don't think about the person that they're throwing it to. And what is that person capable of? What spin are they? How are they going to make them look better? I think that that gets lost a lot in the sense of like you're saying somebody catches it. They just come right out of a catch and they throw it really hard. Or you know, just they're just not thinking about who they're throwing it to. They're just throwing it at somebody. Yeah, I mean, that's one way to put it. Um, I, I think you can be a little more you know, charitable. <laughs> they're trying as hard as they can to throw what they think is a good throw. I just don't believe they have the right definition of what a good throw is. Well, what is that definition? Yeah, define it first, Steve. Define it. Well, um, it has to do with the whole pattern. Is it sharing uh, between two people, or is it just one person giving up the disc to the other and then standing there watching them do something? The result that I was kind of trained to look toward was simply trying to connect both players and the throw was part of that connection and uh, and you just keep going and it, that's why a good throw can be very low spin if it's if it makes sense to the music and what the two people are doing you know it doesn't have to have a lot of spin if if it can be interacted with in a way that makes sense and that can feed back and forth and you know a low spin throw that rolls out and comes back around and is fed back is more pleasing than one that's um, revved up to maximum z's and you know breaking the flow and it's a it's a kind of philosophy it's a it's about what are you trying to create are you trying to serve up massive spin so somebody can do a whole bunch of moves off it or are you trying to create a sharing between two people that makes sense with the music and, and create something alive and pleasing so is it something to be sensitive to the vibe that's happening between players and just try to pick up on what the energy is that if it dictates a soft yes, you know I, I, it's, it's, I hate to get back into that old thing about flow, but uh, it really has something to do with the life between the two players and uh, and being uh, aware that there is uh, some life there between them, and that if you break the flow, you've stopped the life and you've restarted, and uh, and that's less than if you just kept the flow going. If you have to stop and restart, it's less than. 
Right. Well, that's why it's called a, a jam. You know, it's musicians. They have to listen to each other and play off of each other. I think that's mm-hmm. the concept I would guess that you're kind of trying to get at. Well, it's, it's, it's the life of the jam, right? It's the heartbeat. So, you know, you can define it to death, but I think people know when it's happening and they know when it isn't happening. You know, the part that when I really struggled with it myself was it's coming from either good throws or bad throws. Make it possible. If you have a really bad throw, then you're stopped. If you have a really good throw, it makes it almost impossible not to keep going. And yet, you know, a lot of people, I think, when they first start jamming, uh, put most of their emphasis and most of their energy toward learning moves and learning um, how to do this or that hard move and the next hard move and this spin and that spin and not as much energy as they could into how to do different throws, different trajectories. And as you were talking about earlier, Randy, uh, complementing the skills of the person they're playing with by delivering them throws that they can deal with. Right. I think there's a lot to be said for that, actually. I think that if you are really conscious about how to make the other person look good after you've completed something, that it's just going to feed that next movement and they'll buy into that and they'll be really conscious of how they give it to you and then you start to develop that creation. Yeah, part of well, part of that is when you're jamming, there's an energy that kind of builds. As everyone plays well, the energy builds stronger. So if you're part of your gift to the other person is not just a throw, but a throw that lets them do their best trick. And it's really a gift that you're giving to yourself as yeah. well. Because if you give them a gift, it's really you're giving yourself a gift because the jam keeps going. Exactly. That's all part of feeding the jam. It's not just about you getting hot. It's about all of us getting hot. And so you have to contribute to other people just as much as you as you put in you can't do that if you don't think about the trajectory you're giving and what's happening with the tunes and where the people are and what the wind condition is and and what you can give at that moment because your skill is part of it so if i can't do it with a whole bunch of spin at least i can do it with a really good trajectory for that person so they can take it to the next level and you know what that might even be something that you could uh have be a rule that if you were to enter a mob op that you have to consciously say i'm going to make my first four touches be making somebody else look good before i try to make myself look good and so that way you can come into a mob op and settle in before trying to take it in a direction that isn't ready to go yeah, one one little uh, game I play with myself occasionally is um, keeping track of how many things happen after the throw. Does the throw go and then it you know it goes out there and then it just stops and then the jam starts again, or do, does the throw go out there and does it go one two three four different places before it stops? That's my definition of a successful throw is if it just keeps going. If there's no disruption, then that was a successful throw. So, Jake, you just posted an article about uh, – it was titled Hoop Factory. And talk a little bit about that because that's kind of Factory. an essence of a little bit of what we're talking about. Yeah. I mean it goes, long, it goes beyond the throw obviously. But 
Um, you were in that jam, Randy, and I think Beast might have been in that jam. This was many years ago. But anyhow, so the story is it's a beach weekend, and it's a Sunday, and we're getting ready to go jam, and we're warming up, and I don't know exactly who said it or how it happened, but we invented this rule that we couldn't catch the disc until it had been hooped three times. And so we started trying that. And in the beginning, it was really challenging. We had to sort of force ourselves to find the hoops. Like, I'm just going to stand here, make a hoop, and you throw it through. But by the end of it, it was was magical. We were running around. It was sort of like the Colorado Colorado Mm -hmm. weave, but it was on steroids. There was like 10 of us in the jam. And so my favorite moment, which I wrote about in the story, was um, I got a, a set. Someone rolled it across. And five people hooped the set before I made the flawed. And I could see the disc coming through all of the hoops as I went for the catch. It was just like, oh, my God, the pinnacle of hooping just happened yeah. right now. Right. And wow. since then, I've, I've, my, I know probably all of us, but I know that my hoop level has gone significantly up. So I see hoops in jams when I didn't know they were there before. Right. Well, it is, it's that concept, like Steve's saying, the, the trajectory of the throw. It doesn't have so much be the speed, but you're – doing something to enhance what it's what's happening to the next player so that hoop is an enhanced just like a the trajectory of a flow of mm-hmm. a throw do you concur steven yeah i think you know anything you can add to the energy is uh, is valid right anything mm-hmm. that attracts and is you know i've i've been thinking a lot about well then when you get a little too cute with some of these hoops and all that stuff that uh, you know we do and it becomes predictable then it becomes kind of jaded and you and and you're looking for some other surprising thing to happen and so there's never you know one sole answer is there it's it's more you know what what the soup needs you know you need spice you need salt you need potatoes sometimes you need onions sometimes it's it's unpredictable but yet uh when it's right, you you know it, and when it isn't right, you can taste it. But I, you know, that, that for just beginning intermediate players, uh, just throwing hard is is sort of addictive to them. It seems, and if, if you could, if there's one thing I would change, it would be that. It would be, oh, you know, try to learn different throws or different trajectories, not just one big hammer all the time. I, well, I owe Larry Imperiality thanks for making me aware of that a long time ago one time when he was in a jam with me and I was doing just that, just throwing big hammer throws. He said, Steve, don't you, can't you throw a little spin? Went, what? It was like I was, I was blind and then, then I could see. So did you get it immediately or did you have to think about it? Oh, no, I didn't get it. I was just stunned. It was like, God, I was trying as hard as I could. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, that's what's so difficult about breaking somebody of that habit is they're trying as hard as they can. I mean, that's they're given everything they have to every throw, but, you know, they haven't got the full recipe yet. But that that really highlights the, the, the concept of somebody can say just a slight thing to change your whole way you look at things. So, okay. you know, a subtle phrase or a subtle comment can really change the trajectory, no pun intended, of how you view things. So 
It's kind of cool when you think about that. Yeah, it is. Well, if your ears are open. Yep. And you got to sometimes stew on it and think about it and decide if you even want to try implementing it or if you even understand it. That's the hardest part. A number of years I played with Kathy Gay, who wouldn't play if you ever did indies, if, if you didn't just play flow. She would quit, and she'd quit right in the middle of a jam, just walk away if you started doing indies. If you weren't doing flow, she knew it immediately, and she wasn't interested. That was the end of the jam. When was this? 80s, or early 80s. Early 80s. And so flow back then, was it? Is mobopping that we was that what we call mobopping today, or is it something else? Um, you know, it was more than that. She had an extremely good sense of when a person was just doing a big demo move, as opposed to trying to enhance the jam. And, and if mm. you started doing demo moves, it was all over. She would just quit. Well, that's interesting because so. there was an evolution uh, right about that time where people started going into more individual move and less from that exchange and it was just crank out big c's and then it shifted like eight nine years later back into a give and go give and take more of a mob up mentality i i certainly saw that happen did you see that happen too yeah for sure yeah jake I, I don't know if I was around at that point. Wait, like, what Jake, years are you talking about? Jake wasn't alive back then. I was well, yeah, he yes, was a baby. I wasn't alive. He wasn't a jammer yet. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, I remember learning, and my teacher, Mike Esterbrook, would go off to tournaments, and he'd come back and teach us stuff. So he goes off to um, one of Skippy's tournaments, and he comes back, and he says, they're doing this thing where they pass it around to each other, and they try not to catch it, and they just keep brushing it, and they keep rolling it. So then we started jamming that way ever since after that. What, what year was that? Uh, 1995. So 95. So we're talking like the early 80s, end of 80s. And then so it even evolved, I think, even more where people were really – that's the game they were embracing and kind of left the indies in the dust. Right. The wave cycle went from – when I first started – for me, from throw and catch. And the energy of throw and catch was all about throw, catch, throw, and try to keep it going without any breaks. And you would make big behind the backs and flying under the legs, and you'd come down out of them right into the throw. If you broke it, if you stopped, then it was over. It died. But if you kept it going, it was all one move. That was throw and catch. And that concept went right into freestyle. Uh, the flow of freestyle came from that, I believe. It was lost for a while, as Randy said, but then it came back. It was appreciated again. And I I still think it's the heartbeat of, of freestyle. It's, you can see it every time you're out jamming at Green Lake. And we're going off and getting hot. The minute it breaks, people stop watching and walk on. If it doesn't break, they are just statues until it, you know, until it does. Right. And the break is not a drop. The break is the break and flow, right? It's, yeah. It's, yeah. Whatever releases them from the tension, right? There's mm -hmm. a dramatic tension in the exchange. And when that tension is broken, then intellectually people just are released. And, you know, you feel it too. As a jammer, you feel it. Totally. You feel it. In fact, you that's that I think is part of the drug of jamming is that you 
go, you live to go to that space of how do you increase that tension? Because that's where everything disappears. And mm-hmm. so when you're jamming and you're not thinking about it, that's when I think somebody really enjoys watching you go to that space as well. So everybody is included in that experience. Mm-hmm. Performer, audience, I mean, it's just, it's a cool yeah. moment. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, for me, it's not thinking. You aren't thinking, but you are thinking. Because like today, in that small space with low-hanging lights, we were playing really well for a few times. There were five person passes where we got to everybody on purpose you knew we had to get to that other person but it wasn't forced it it happened and that was beautiful i mean it was just you know and we we got there a number of different times i remember you said something about it once jake Mm -hmm. we got five we got you know you know so you're thinking but you're not thinking there's a there's a purpose, but there isn't. You know, you're, you know, that's what's fun about it. Is you're constrained, but you're not. You're flying, but but there is a purpose behind it. That's the quiet space. There's all this like stuff going on of thinking and not thinking, but there is a meditative state when you get there. You just are present. Yeah, the Zen part of it, yeah. It's always enlightening and actually a bit frightening to go into Steve Hayes' beast's brain, but all joking aside... He really thinks about Frisbee on a deeper level than I would say almost anybody else I know. Yeah, totally. It's, uh, he's got a very gruff exterior, and it's sometimes hard to pierce through that. But once you do, man, he's got so many thoughts. He's thought so deeply about so many topics. It's, it's actually really fun to have a conversation with him about Frisbee nerdery. Yeah, I, I concur. You can ask him a, an obtuse question like, what's the difference between form and content? And I'll guarantee you he has an answer and he's thought about it deeply. So anybody out there who's lucky enough to kind of get him on a one-on-one uh, situation where you can ask him those types of questions, I highly encourage you to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Want to continue to thank everybody out there who is supporting our mission. And uh, one great way to do that is to donate, and it really helps out keeping the lights on. And uh, we definitely thank you. Yep, absolutely. Thank you. And thank you very much for listening. It's great to have you. Have you here. All right. We'll talk to you next time, Jake. Yep. Bye. Thanks for listening to. Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Haynesville, shooting the Frisbees and live streaming freestyle Frisbee.